From the side podcast, are delighted to announce that our main podcast sponsor is Fields Joinery. If you are watching on YouTube, all of their social and website links are on the screen now. However, if you are an audio-only listener of the podcast, do head over to fieldspropertygroup.co.uk. That's fieldspropertygroup.co.uk. And do not hesitate to get in touch and find all of their information on the website there. We'd like to thank Fields Joinery for sponsoring the podcast from day one. It really goes a long way, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello and welcome in to the From the Side podcast, episode number three. It's me and Jay, as always. And as always, Jay, we'll let you introduce the guest. Yeah, so I'll have to be um, really nice this week because he's my boss. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this week's guest is the AFC Nosley Chairman, Mike. Nice one for coming on, Mike. How are we? Um, good boys, yeah. Welcome to AFC Nosley. The first thing to, talk, to, to say is the facility, even though I know, I've, I know all about it, I've been here for a couple of years. Um, it's unbelievable. For like for the grassroots in terms of heighten in terms of the city and that I know it's your first time coming in it yeah um but to see it the way from where where it was when obviously I started um to where it is now you've got you, you and whoever's been involved done an unbelievable job like yeah we've we've come a, a, a massive way in a space of t- sort of three and four years when we when we sort of raised talks talked about obviously development at the time we had three containers. At the other end of the field, all it had was a lucky field. The, the showers weren't very sort of health and safety environment. So, so yeah, so we've come a long way, and now obviously this facilities, this is what 1.6 million gets you really, and we've really benefited from obviously the housing state up on Nosy Lane, and and more importantly from the football foundation. So the feedback we get over weekend is is absolutely phenomenal, and it's a pleasure to to be the captain of the ship, as they say. Because when you look around you know, and the, the facilities and the teams that we've got here, it's an absolute pleasure, really, to be fair. So. so, going from now all the way back, how did you first become involved at Nosley? God. How many years ago was that? Many, many years ago. <laughs> many years ago. Just to give you a bit of background towards the club, the club was established in 1987. Um, it was called SSC, um, and it was based in Wiston. Uh, Mark O'Neill was the, the sort of leader of the, of the, of the group at that time. He had like 30 kids. So as it progressed, obviously it started gradually getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and then obviously he then had uh, about three or four teams, a couple of open age teams as well. So I really got involved with Phil Rimmer, who's a good man, friend of mine who was previous at the club. Um, my lad was six years of age, as was his, Jack. So we um, we approached Mark O'Neill because we were, we were looking for a football club, really, to, uh, to take our lads to. So we approached him and Mark, Thankfully enough, said, yeah, come and join us. So so we, we, we joined uh, at the time. It was Nosey South at the time. So when we joined, uh, Phil and I, we put our lads, we created an under, under sevens at the time. And we've sort of progressively gone from there, really. Uh, the fact that when we started, uh, we had an under sevens and then we went on. Um, so we got about 2011, really, and that's when we started really getting involved with the actual club, more sort of committee side of it, really. Uh, it was the first time we'd organised the tournaments for the actual club, which in later times you'll probably understand why we do the tournaments. But but yeah, that's where I really got involved. And from there, really, I've been involved with the sort of committee from from right from the sort of outset, really. It comes with its own advantages, but it comes with, obviously, its own challenges as well. So, so yeah, my lad's now 21, so he's been involved from the age of six, so that's where I really started. Yeah. So it's been a long time. To be fair to you, when I, when I first 
spoke to you about coming in and stuff. You were doing the 18s as well, weren't you? As well as doing the 18s and cheer, we chairman as well at the same time. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, my lad obviously was, was at the club and he progressed right through and Phil and I were managing the under-18s. That's where it sort of really became a bit sort of disbanded then because it gets under-18s and lads... They find women, they find going to pubs, etc. So it was really hard to, to keep the team together. So that's where we really sort of manoeuvred away from actually being one of the managers of the club. But when I when I took over the, as a as a chairman of the football club it was around the sort of two thousand and sort of eighteen. Uh, Mark O'Neill was obviously the chairman of the football club, and he come to a point where he thought he'd saved his time and wanted fresh ideas. So what Mark did was appoint Mark Whelans, who was good friend of ours at the time he his lad grew up with our lads in the in the same sort of environment same arena and unfortunately mark passed away in uh, 2017 which was an absolute travesty really he wasn't chairman for long to be fair did a great job his sons still play at the at the club yeah. he's still involved with the club um, and then obviously there was really a vacant opportunity for for someone to step in and be the chairman and that's where I stepped in, really. Uh, so around the 2000 and sort of 17 was when I took over as the chairman of the football club. So. Yeah. In, <coughs> in the last five years, then, you've took the, took the club on even further, really, haven't you? Because it was known as yourself, you've rebranded, you've got this this complex. What's been your highlight in the last five years of being the chairman? Uh, it, it's probably grown the club at the sort of exponentially sort of pace we have really grown it i say two, 2018 is when we initially got the phone call from the council when you get phone calls from councils to football clubs generally you get, you're on the back foot really uh, and i was sort of a bit apprehensive what the phone call was for and um, so basically i got summoned to a, a consultation in the, in the council chambers so i was sitting there and it was, it was weird really because it was Everton man united were playing i was on monday night so I was watching on my phone and obviously there was there was a bit of fracas with the council and the local community. So obviously they said, obviously we're putting into consultation the fact that there's going to be a new housing estate at the top there with an industrial part of it. So yeah, as you can imagine, there was a farm on there that's been there for years and years and years. So they started kicking off, kicking off. And without me even knowing what was going on, the council went uh, like Mike Gibbons to, to stand up from, from those himself out. Put my phone down, what's going on? So as a result of the actual housing estate and the business units, knows yourself will benefit from this as a football club. So as you can imagine, my ears pricked up then thinking, wow, what's going on here? So they're not knocking, not going to knock any sort of our facilities down. What they're going to do is basically develop them because we were all concerned as a committee that they're going to build houses on here. They're going to take the land off Absolutely, you yeah. When councils ring you to come to consultation, yeah. it's normally not good news. So it was really, from there on really, it kicked in that we understood what was going to benefit from the club. So subsequently after that sort of consultation, I met with the council coming down on the site and basically they showed me the, showed me the actual plans. So this is how far it gone after the consultation because they started showing me the plans. So obviously I was involved with the, obviously the plans of it and it just blew me really to think what we're gone from to, to what we're coming to. So you can imagine, obviously, looking at the plans, like state-of-the-art changing rooms, function rooms, and then obviously spending £300,000 on the pitches as well. Yeah. So it was just blown away. So, that, so yeah, that was when the real sort of journey started. 
And with that journey, you, you had to step up with the journey as well because you're getting these facilities and being like a, previously a, a junior football club, which we presumably were, I seen opportunities then to sort of progress the actual club, to become more diverse across all sorts of areas. So that's when I really started thinking, how can we expand the football club to, to benefit from the facilities? Because we knew we were getting a headline pitch with fencing around it. So that come with its own sort of sort of capabilities, really. So that's when I really decided, well, let's, let's expand the club and let's in, in sort of integrate a new first team, really. So, so we started doing them sort of conversations around, <coughs> what was it probably around 2000, late 2018? And then... Obviously, we know what happened in 2019 with COVID. So, so everything was put back a year, which was absolutely devastating for us. But I was questioning my own sort of sanity at the time, the council's sanity. But thankfully, we, we got through COVID and this is where we are today. So, I also remember coming to watch Alex when he was playing for um, Beetle. Yeah. Playing for Beetle 21, wasn't he? I remember coming to watch and I'd never met you then. And I just happened to just stand next to you. Mm. Ended up talking, and I always remember you getting your phone out and showing the plans, and I was thinking, oh, th- that looks great, that looks sound, but I didn't know it was for it was for you. Yeah. And then obviously through conversations and all that ended up being put in, put put in touch. So, but seeing went like you've just said, then seeing the plans like actually on paper, and you're thinking that looks fantastic, that looks brilliant and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was it was something that I didn't didn't know that was coming to the area and seeing it n- where we are now. From what, like I said before, from where we where we was, it, it is unbelievable. Like, yeah, and, and the most important thing is what I didn't want to do as as a chairman and was completely neglect what we had already because they were the foundations for us to get what we did. So, obviously at the time, I think we had four or five sort of junior football teams at the time. So what we wanted to really do is expand completely right through the sort of the spectrum of the club. So obviously my lad was, as you mentioned, Alex was playing a bit under twenty one. So. Obviously, that was an, an opportunity for me to to think big and wider, really, for the senior football team, looking at the, the set-up they had at Bootle. So at the time, Bootle under-21s were sort of probably uh, be coming to the end of their journey. Um, so that's when I saw an ideal opportunity to, before really even the plans were sort of starting to build anything, before even a splayed was put into the ground, I spoke to uh, under-21s manager Bootle, Chris Jones, at the time, and Obviously, we had a great chat about what the future held for, for AFC Nosley, knows himself at the time. And that's when we sort of really put sort of the plans together for us to sort of integrate the first team into into the football club. Because ultimately, with a football club, I always believe you need, you need to adopt a one-club ethos, which is massively sort of my mission statement, really. We're one club. Everyone is in the same sort of arena, so we're all part of the same club. So what I want to do is have a, a senior football team, but just as important as the under sevens really so that's where we sort of really made the sort of conversations and as I say COVID really kicked in so everything was put back a year which was an absolute nightmare so did you ever did you have to like put your own plan into place to try to to justify getting the facility not really no obviously we had to obviously sort of comply with what the football foundation we had meetings lengthy meetings with the football foundation because at the time it's called the section 106 which comes from the actual housing state up the road so they were contributing seven hundred thousand pounds so what the football foundation they obviously matched that seven hundred thousand pounds so there's a lot of sort of a lot of talking with the football foundation because they had a lot of expectations of the site as did the council but also i wanted my stamp on the site as well yeah. because 
you can't have them two dictating to you when you're the sort of the main bursary of the actual site. So so there's a lot of ongoing conversations with the Football Foundation. Um, and that's when it really started, to be fair, getting really difficult because so much red tape when you're dealing with, with city councils. Um, so it went on, oh God, it must have been two, three years, obviously sort of going through all the, foot, the first speed and the, into the ground. And then just working with these guys, being a man, I've got a full-time job as well. It was an absolute nightmare because I've got no experience dealing with contractors. I've got no experience to deal with, with council people. I've got no experience dealing with the football foundation. So it was very much self-taught as I was going along. And it did it did sort of bring me some some stark, some challenges really, to be fair, because as I say, everything you, you were dealing with is just all, it's all brand new. Yeah. And it was just eye-opening to be fair. And, and as I say, chairman of the football club at the time, a lot of people didn't see what was going on in, in behind the scenes because you had a lot of off-site meetings, on-site meetings with the contractors yeah. and that. So I, I got to the point where there was too much legalities going on with it. So I had to deploy a sort of solicitors just to, to help us really with the sort of day-to-day sort of challenges that we had, like dealing with the, with the lease because what the council wanted us to do was sign a, sign a 27-year lease. So as a chairman of a football club, I didn't want to sort of go down a route that I wasn't confident with. So what we had to do at the time is, because we were private individuals, if, for example, this football club went under, they'd come and knock on our door as a private individual, which, as you can appreciate, is probably a bit scary. (laughs) You're responsible for a 1.4 million (laughs) building. So what we had to do was we had to set up what we call a community interest company, which is a limited company. It's like a charity. So we set up that, so all the committee of directors. And what that does is just it just li- limited the actual litigation. So if it did go wrong, which obviously it's not going to go wrong, they couldn't come to us as individuals to go to the company. So obviously all we would do is dis- dissolve the company. So even the challenges, the legalities of setting up a company, that was all completely brand new to me. So trying to obviously do all the, the back-end stuff for the actual football club, but also being the day-to-day chairman, and also making sure the compliance and the day-to-day running of all the, all the teams. Because where we are now, we've got 32 different teams at this club now, ranging from under-7s to a disability team to two girls' teams and obviously the senior side of the football. So it comes with its own challenges. But I say, it was great when we seen, obviously, the, the first sort of bricks being laid down because you could see the footprint start to take shape. And as I say, where we are today, and you can, as I say, you can appreciate where we are today, so... Did you ever feel like giving up then because yeah. you did have a full-time job? Yeah, plenty of times. And you question your own sort of confidence and your own abilities because, as I said, I work in a very stressful day-to-day <coughs> job anyway in, in sort of finance and all that. So when you're dealing with day-to-day challenges from council, they didn't seem to realise I had a full-time job. So they were summoning you and you had to go to meetings, etc. And I remember sitting in this meeting and everything was just going over my head. Just completely blasé with everything yeah. because the terminologies that council used and the football foundations was completely new to me. So for me to manage, and, and I even sometimes I questioned with my wife, I said, Am I the person to take this club for? Because what they're demanding of me? I've got the time, but I've got the capabilities to do it as well. So yeah, it was really, really <coughs> hard. And got to a few points where I thought, if I don't do it, who's gonna do it? Yeah. So I had to take obviously the step forward really and just seek a bit of advice. As you do, sometimes you don't know what the answer is, so you seek advice, and thankfully we got we got through it. But yeah, it did come with the challenges, and yeah, it did come when you think, do I really want this responsibility? Because even though we're directors, people think we get paid. I don't get a penny. 
all I had to do is this is for a volunteer. And one of the main reasons I've always said this, and I'll never change my thinking, is the reason why I've always done what I do is to give my son a platform to play football. Yeah, had a good st- good standard, and yeah. thankfully he's had a good standard now. So that's the reason why I ever do it. But also the sort of looking at the kids, seeing the kids smile on a Saturday here, it's vibrant. Yeah, it's just the amount of people you see on site, and and then come like twelve o'clock, one o'clock, the kids all go home, and then next minute the adults come, and now we've got a bit of a bar, etc. So the club's on the up, but yeah, it did have its challenges. I tell you that. It's on a Saturday, it is. It- You've not seen it, have you? But it is it is really good. You must there must be about twenty teams. Yeah, must come on a Saturday through, throughout the day in that morning from like nine till twelve. There must be about 20, 25 teams who come and go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously we get a lot of league officials here as well. And for example, we've got a team local to us who, who potentially are getting the same sorts of facilities. And their chairman came down to us last week, and we were having a chat, and he was asking similar questions to you what you need to be able to do all this. And the first thing I said is thick skin. You need a lot of thick yeah. skin, a lot of patience, a lot of time. Better mind you've got a full-time job. But the amount of people who come in and obviously op- opposition teams or teams around the Northwest and just blown away. Didn't even know this was here. They're just blown away. And yeah. as I say, just when you're the captain of the ship, as they say, you're indoors and you, and, you, and you really take that to heart, that sort of feedback, because all your work across the last four years has now come to fruition. And little Johnny at five years of age or or someone who were in the first team is really benefiting from the work that we've done here. We've got a really good committee behind us as well. Wayne, who's obviously second in command, he does a lot of work with, obviously, behind the scenes. Then we've got Dominic, who's the treasurer. The amount of money that comes through this club, and he reconciles it to the penny, is absolutely fantastic. And one of the things I did last year, I awarded Dominic the chairman award, because now, because we're a limited company, we're solely responsible for every penny that comes into this and every penny goes out, which, if I can give you an idea, the running cost for this place is about £3,500 a month. Wow. That's, that's before, that's any, before. Like, yeah, yeah. any energy rises yeah, and stuff? Absolutely, before any. The other, the other month, we got a gas bill and we hadn't even touched the gas and that was touching three figures, high three figures. So you can appreciate the sort of running cost. So we had to reevaluate the sort of... Because what we do as a football club, we charge obviously fees to like subs to, to the kids and various different teams. So we had to reevaluate because what we were bringing in wasn't covering the costs. And no one likes to see anything in increasing costs. So what we had to do, Dominic, Wayne and myself, we had to put a forecast together to see what we needed to do to, to sort of generate some income. Um, and I'd say we went back to the teams and, and obviously we, we advised them there's going to be a bit of a change in the sort of fees but what we could do is we could back it up because look what you've got here. Yeah. yeah. It justifies the fees. We've got a cafe, you've got a bar, you've got you've got a day-to-day environment which is safe for all the kids. So there's a bit of sort of obviously a bit of sort of, sort of lips about it. But thankfully everyone's come on board and as I say, we have to treat it like a business, which you can't get away from treating like a football club because ultimately that's what it is. But if we don't bring in sufficient income, we can't sustain this for fantastic facilities and from being chairman, also like a managing director, it's my responsibility that we actually get the income in. Yeah. So as you've probably seen, round the football pitch outside, we've got like advertising boards, etc. So they're key to us as well, and we're regularly sort of liaising and sort of contacting local businesses to to come on board and support us. And my aspirations are really is to is to is to challenge our friends up the road really. And how long that is, I don't know. But if you don't set yourself goals, you never achieve them, will you? So. 
goals are there to be f- to, 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 be, to, to, to yeah. achieve. Achieved. Achieved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, did, did you ever get any kickback off like any residents around here or anyone else? Or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Like absolutely. You, you think with obviously what we've got here and what we're doing for the community, because everything we do is community led. With the council, we have to have uh, social value targets with the council, believe it or not. So I have to sit down on, a, on like nearly a monthly basis, and just have to go to them, yeah. Like yeah, they're, they're the they're the tenant of the yeah. place. Uh, sorry, the, the yeah, the tenant. No, they're the, the tenants. They're the uh, they're the owner. Yeah, yeah, they're thing. basically the owner. So we have to report to them. So I have to go to them on a, like a monthly basis and tell them what we've done for the community. So what we have to do is, like, for example, our recent coup was really was was creating a, a disability team for the community, yeah. which is the ours, and they're absolutely brilliant. If you ever get a chance to watch them, the smiles on their faces are brilliant. So so we have to do a lot of community work as well. Like, obviously, we've got a function room there, so what we do is hire out to, to like, different, various different groups, etc. like uh, alcoholists, gambling, etc. So it's always open for any community bodies to come in. So what we do is we touch a lot with the with the neighbourhood. But yeah, you're right, Jay, we we do there's a certain couple of neighbours local who, no matter what you do and no matter what you bring to the community, they're always complaining. Like for example, we've got CCTV outside and it covers the whole site. One of the neighbours wasn't happy because they thought it was looking into their garden. But I can guarantee if something went wrong, did want, did want that CCTV. It, yeah. And the biggest problem we've got at the moment is parking. Uh, we've got parking spaces for probably like 300, 300 cars, but we have special days like tournaments and presentations, and sometimes we can have a lot of games and, and people park on the main road. And we can't stop that because there's no yellow lines. And only last week I was speaking with the councils, we'll put yellow lines there because we don't want to create any cause of concern with the neighbours. Yeah. Put yellow lines out there. Yeah. Not a problem, we're happy for that. But just even working with the council, for example, like that, we're, we we got a massive concern with the, as you come into the, the site, there's the little bend, but where the kids come out, there's a gate, the cars are flying in. We've asked for a speed bump countless times the last year, and they're still not. Helping us, I said to them, something happens, who's accountable for it? Because we've asked you yeah. countless times. But, but neighbours generally, they are good. Um, but you do get your, your minority informed that no matter what you do, no matter how you do it, does never be to find a, a way to to <laughs> one even got us on the phone. Went, Why don't you do rugby over here? Because we do football. <laughs> That's what they like. Unfortunately, sort of football club. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, yeah. Be- the best one I heard when it was like. Remember to be able to put a big sign up outside to say like what was happening and that. Yeah. Wasn't there was someone moaning off the, the glare off the off the sign or something? Yeah, yeah. We we erected uh, a sign outside. Uh, it was when we were nosy south to be fair. And uh, and my brother done it, uh, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. And he used to do all the signs for the for the uh, for the uh, for the football club. And it cost us a thousand pounds to erect the sign. Not thinking you need a planning permission. <laughs> Guess what we got told? You'd have to take it down. So then we took it down because obviously we didn't have plan of permission. We put it back up and then a few weeks later we got a complaint that the sun was hitting the sign and coming back into the living room of the actual house. <laughs> Can't so, yeah. win, can you? No, 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 absolutely not. And <coughs> 40 my, my names at the top of the tree is the same. Guess who they ring when they, they've got complaints? You. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So it's me that gets all the challenges and I get all the phone calls and, and then I get all the phone calls from the council saying, well, parking on the main road. We've been asked for a pedestrian outside. That's how sort of local support we are for the community. But again, the council is just 
cash ridden on at the end of the day, so the money mm. got surplus that we can use. So so yeah, that's where we are with the, the challenges of the neighbours. So did you expect them to erect this facility then? Because grassroots football is constantly getting money to out of it. It's not really in the city for the players to develop. Was you surprised when it was Nosley that was picked rather than, say, somewhere by Anfield and Goodison and stuff? Yeah, I was massive. I said, go back to that meeting I had with the, with the consultation and when he obviously got that initial that phone call. So at the time, football, grassroots football is the police. I don't know if it, there's a guy on Twitter at grassroots football who's constantly tweeting about getting support for grassroots football because we get nothing from our local FA. To be fair, FAs don't invest in grassroots football. So everything you do is massively self-sustainable from yourself. So you've got to you've got to drive your own sort of future forward. So so when we got this, it was fantastic because going from something that was like decrepit down here and dangerous to getting this facility was just mind blown because people around seeing why have they got that? We've got a couple of teams locally who hopefully fingers crossed they'll benefit from housing states within their area, they're going to get something similar yeah. to them. So it is great from this point of view. But what, as I say, running this day-to-day business, day-to-day, you just you get blown away to think, what have we got here? We've got 500 kids, 500 club members registered to this now, this football club, 32 different teams. So it's fantastic that we can offer something to the community. And we don't do just do football, we do other things. We do other, other we do soft camps, we do various different other things. And... Again, we're just always offering something for the community as well. So so when we got this, it was just fantastic. The state of the grassroots in the city is like, it, it's proper, it's a concern, isn't it? When you look at the state of like, the pitches like the Shankleys and the hubs, we were speaking with Jack, weren't we, on the last, um, the last episode, and we were saying the hubs are charging like 300 quid for an hour for a full pitch. Well, recently, at the moment, because we've obviously, we're, this site is very much summer based because obviously we've got no floodlights, etc. So all our teams have to go to local venues like Valera, etc. And Valera just put the prices up again. It's just ridiculous. I got a quote yesterday for a 9v9 for an hour after six o'clock. It was 100 quid for a 9v9. We hire for the fit, for the senior team, we hire half a pitch out for two hours. It's just over £200. How can clubs afford that? Yeah. The challenges that we've got, and then no disrespect to County FA, they seem to slap you with fines. I've seen a couple of tweets today. I've been slapped with fines, been slapped with fines. So you're constantly looking for different ways to make money. But grassroots football, you you look at the council fields as well. The council fields are atrocious. They're dangerous as well because yeah. they don't get treated or they don't get looked after from the council. They just seem to want to take the money, take the money. Even like up to like a week before the season starts, they haven't even got the goals up. They haven't even marked the pitches. Yeah. But you're getting this added cost of, yeah, we have to pay. We have to pay, we have to pay. That's all you ever seem to hear is we have to pay for this, we have to pay for that. But you say things aren't free in life. But if you're paying for something, you want the quality there. And yeah. as I say, it seems like the Valais sites like Prescott up there, Jeffrey Rumble, the price is there, Chad, and it's just, it's just phenomenal. It must be great money for them. But I feel sorry for teams now because the sort of, the income that you're generating to what your outgoings are, it's, it's, it's really tight and... I say we re- revalued our sort of structure and raising to prices, etc. Because we had to do it. Yeah. We've got costs to cover. But as and I say, you like obviously here, it's you've got a building to pay for. You've got your yeah. like, gas, obviously water rates and stuff. Yeah. Whereas there's teams out there who who haven't got a facility and have to use those hub sites and have to use Valer. And where do they where do they find them money? Do you know what I mean? The you put the subs up to, to but you can justify it. Those yeah. teams are having to put. Obviously, their subs up 
to say, well, it's not our fault. We, we, we've got to pay for the pitch. And, and, and the biggest concern as well, we, we have it a slight here. We've got an open public space where the council wants to invite walkers on. So there's nothing worth walking on a football pitch and there's dog muck there. Yeah. When you walk on like uh, Bill Shankly and all them fields, etc., it, it's, it's, it's ridden in, in dog muck. So you're paying a substantial fee. You'd have to put up your own nets potentially. You don't call flags and you're walking across the grass. And long some of the, some of the lines, some of the lines you see on them pitches. Yeah, yes, yeah, I do have a couple of babies before yeah. they, they, they do the actual line mark. Fair play to Dave when it, yeah, the, the pitches here are brilliant. Well, as you know, Dave, Dave's been phenomenal for us, and that's why I put him up for uh, grounds with the year because Dave's also cared for his wife and his daughter who are disabled, so he's a, he's a massive carer for them. But he comes up here, and as I say, he won uh, grounds of the year, uh, just gone for last season. I say he probably spends three or four days here working on them pitches like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. Like he was here today and he's obviously marked the pitches. But again, I go back to the we're all volunteers here. None of us get paid. So without volunteers like Dave, like Dom does the treasury, etc., you just haven't got a football club because it, it's impressive to expect someone to do three, four days potentially at a football club. Whereas, as I say, you get like these hub sites, etc., and you get like the council fees. There's no one there, no one cares about them. It's just an income. What we have to do is justify where our charge and income, but we're giving you the facilities and we give you the pictures to actually sort of cost effective from what you're actually getting. And I say, with Dave getting that, obviously, uh, grounds of the year, and hopefully he's been, uh, well, we've nominated him for national, fingers crossed, he, he gets, a, uh, gets a shout in with it. Yeah. But yeah, it's fantastic what Dave does here. What made you rebrand them from Nosy South to AFC Nosy? Was it because you were coming to a state of the art facility to make a you, the, the club will look more modern or is it just yeah you, you're spot on you, you get to a point and we, we put a video together um, people get sort of people don't like change sometimes do you? it's how you adapt to change and I just thought and the slogan on the video <coughs> that we put together was out with the old and in with the new so what I did I obviously spoke to a couple of people previously Mark O'Neill was a previous chairman and, and obviously what I didn't want to do was completely stand on his legacy so we had a really good chat and I sort of touched base, what do you think about rebranding? And he was, yeah, he was blown away because he wanted to do it while he was chairman. So what we didn't want to do was take the sort of complete name change away. So what I did, I went out to a couple of uh, badge making companies just to see what was available. So obviously we had to look around and I'd obviously come up with the badge that you've, you've probably you've seen today, which is like a really good new brand. And then obviously... We decided to rebrand the, 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 the club name to AFC Nosley. And what the biggest thing that we really decided on was when we were coming prior to the Nosley South, all kids had different kits on, different names, different things. So what I did, I took the decision to deploy and sort of work with one sort of distributor. So we decided to go down the Joma route. So everyone who got a kit in this football club got it from the same place. So it was a bit of identity. Yeah. So everyone got the same kit, everyone got the same sort of make, etc. So now when you see the lads outside, whether it's six years of age or 22, 25, everyone's wearing exactly the same kit. And I think that's fantastic because it just gives you that identity that you need. And there's no individuals out there. Yeah. It's just that one club. And I say the name changed when we changed with Liverpool County FA, we had to reaffiliate, etc. And the feedback again I got about the new, the new name change was great. And then when they did the opening day for the whole pavilion, which had like all the councillors here, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I was pushed to the back when they were opening <laughs> the, the ribbon. Even they were blown away. And when they were when they were developing the actual site, they wanted to put like a red red fascia sign outside. 
that when you kill you that yeah you know <laughs> they kill me but why would that this is the, <coughs> the things again they did I, I was involved with some of the decor and all that but you should have been involved in more because you're you're here day to day. Yeah. You're 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 just captain of the ship, as they say. So when he when he showed the red sign outside, it just proves to me they didn't they didn't want to know who we were, what we were doing, etc. So obviously we've got the jeans to the blue face with the badge, and I, when you come in, it just looks amazing. And the amount of kids you see from various other clubs getting man of the matches, taking the pictures out there, it really is it's striking. Really, to be yeah. fair, the new name change. And I say I went to. Went to a couple of meetings this week, funny enough, and people still say knows yourself, and I do correct them on it because we're not knows yourself no more. The legacy is always going to be there, yeah. but with the, obviously the new pavilion, etc. It's just a, it was an idea opportunity really to rebrand, and I'm really pleased that I did really because it's it's that name's getting out there a lot more now. Moving to the fussy side of it, was you surprised with how quick, obviously moving through the leagues and stuff, because we started in the. Cheshire League 2 wasn't it and then obviously within 2-3 years che- Cheshire Prem was yeah, that, was that yeah massively surprised that? and I'm still very proud of what the, the management team and the teams did for us at that time and I go back to when we met the Cheshire League and um, we had to go to Lockstock Grayland Cheshire FA and uh, Chris and I and we sat down and we, we agreed a plan uh, what we wanted to try and do so it was like I think it was around the 2019 20 season that we first really integrated the first team so we sat there in front of a panel and the panel said what's your aspirations I said within three years we want to win we want to be in the premiership and they all laughed <laughs> they did because we were scousers as well going into into Cheshire that was obviously they just laughed at us so we set out really then from obviously we, we gave Chris the mandate to really integrate the first team and what was great at the time it was when Bittle under 21s were coming to an end so Chris really had a natural organic team to come across to us. So obviously that first season was all about obviously integrating the team. At the time we didn't have these facilities because it was put back here. So we yeah. couldn't stop that integration of the first team. So we played our first year at Kirby. And that came under the challenges itself up in Kirby because the changing rooms weren't by the pitch. It was a good few hundred yards away. So in the first year we finished fourth. Um, but because COVID kicked in, we 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 got promoted on points per game, which was great for us because we finished fourth. Yeah. But we got promoted yeah. into into obviously Division One, and that's where we were sort of really kicked on. You could see there was a hunger amongst the club and hunger amongst Chris and his team that yeah we want to get into that into the Premier League. Really, you see when you look at the teams that are in and amongst the, the Premier League, you want to get up there. And we went really well, we had a great start, um, and then as I say, we progressed. We, we still progressed and then we got to a point where we can actually win this and it got down to the last game of the season admittedly but yeah we, we were champions of division one uh, which back-to-back promotions at any league is is fantastic so then really we started obviously 21-22 uh, in the premiership you, when then back-to-back promotions you must have looked back to that meeting where they've laughed in your face and thought absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> Absolutely, because as I say, we, we, we set out our, our, our plan and what our aspirations were and for us to achieve it the way we did, it did put that finger up to them. Oh, well, I, it, was, it was great satisfaction to be fair, yeah. but as I said, the whole club came together and it was great that from a decision to bring in first team football, 
all the un- undercurrents of under-managers seeing we've got an aspirational team to set out. And one of the reasons why I brought first-team football to AFC Norwood is I wanted a, a pathway right from under-sevens to first-team football because once the kids got to 18, which were experienced, they just fluttered off. There was, yeah. there was nothing for them. And all the way, coaches put in up to 18 and then they fluttered off. It, it, it's, it's sickening, to be fair. So first thing, when I knew we were getting all this, I wanted to create a pathway to first-team football. So we integrated, obviously, the under-21s at the time, which Jay was manager of, and then obviously we had the first-team. So we had a natural transition where you could go right through to under-sevens, right through to the first-team, and that just created a pathway for any aspiring young player that wanted to come in the club. And that really created an undercurrent for players that really gave us that aspirational sort of look that they know what they want, they know where they're going. Let's just crack on and, and get yeah. there. There's nothing worse, is there, as you just said then, when there's a, a group that's a really talented 18s group and say for argument's sake they win the league and then it's there's nothing there's nothing they've reached that ceiling, there's nothing for them to go to. Yeah. So there is there is, there is actually nothing worse than that to be fair. Absolutely, yeah. And as I say, we we took the decision, do you, do you create another eighteens or do you bring that under twenty ones? And at the time when we were under twenty ones, they were in the under twenty ones Northwest Development League. So thank thankfully for Chris. He managed to keep the name Bootle, but we changed the actual to AFC Nosley. So we kept the place in the Northwest Development League. And then, as you know, Jay, we, we put a team in there, um, which obviously it, it started off really well. But what my sort of mission was really is that between the first team and the 21s was step up. There's an opportunity to step up. There's an opportunity to step up. Even now, today, there's a massive correlation between the under. 23s in the first team and we're seeing a first hand Jay again you probably know a lot more at the moment where the under 23s are stepping up into the first team and yeah. then obviously when first teams are trying to get the fitness back they can drop down and still play at a really good level so yeah from a, from an overall point of view from a football point of view we're flying at the moment hopefully we're in third at the moment in the league so with obviously the new manager in place we're, we're, we know what our aspirations are and we know which way we're going and all the direction we're going in it's just a matter of being patient, really, and that's one thing I've always tried to say: is let's be patient. We don't need to run before we can walk, and setting them goals really is ultimately where we want to achieve ourselves. So we now feel we've got the sort of transition for the football club to get us where yeah. the aspirations are, and the aspirations are as a football club for other counties, really. I mean, not, not comparing it to like Liverpool or Everton or something, but the the progression is as good as a Premier League side really isn't it right straight from under 7s right up to first team you can get your fitness in the under 23s is that something that's important to you to model what could be professional football yeah <coughs> absolutely and from from the outset people look in and go because we're in the Cheshire League as well Liverpool County FA when we won Division 1 Liverpool County FA were pushing us to go into the Liverpool Prem but I dug my heels in a football no, we started out in Division 2, we got promoted then into yeah. Division 1. You can't take that away from us now because that was our plan of a three years to get into the Premier League. So, as I say, Liverpool County FA were pushing us to go into the into Prem, so I dig my heels in so we could stay in, in the in the Prem. And when you look now, when you're travelling around the North West, like Cheshire, Manchester, and that, you're all playing some really good teams. And that's no disrespect to Liverpool Prem, but... When you're travelling away on, on days to play Cheshire League, it, it, it's a good league, to be fair. And you look at the teams around us at the moment. So, yeah, it's... And as I say, we aspire to be like FC St. Helens, the way they progressed into counties at the moment. I say, well, the unfortunate thing with the facilities is is they didn't go that step further yeah. by creating the Step 6 football. 
the facilities are only step seven. So we've got obviously plans in place with the council to upgrade the site, etc. So we're just obviously working with the council in tandem really just to, to get us to that step six where we'll need a stand, we need the floodlights, etc. So again, it's working with the Football Foundation. So it's like going back to the beginning of the queue again, working with the council, working with the Football Foundation. If I knew what I knew now, I would have inherited them sort of plans right from the outset. Yeah. Really. So obviously, at the end of last season, you'd have to find a new manager. Was that something massively new? That yeah, that always, it always interests me. Stuff like that, you know, like you know, obviously have to sit and you read applications and you think, well, he looks good on paper, but he could, he could be fucking, could be shite. Yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't look great on paper, but he could be brilliant. That yeah. always interests me. Stuff like that. Yeah, as a, uh, when we advertised the position, I had an abundance of applications. I think I had about fifteen applications, which I was blown away by because. Yeah. To get 15 applications for FC Knowsley was fantastic for us and it proves the, the ambitions and what would set and the facilities that we got. People wanted to be a part of this football club. So when obviously when you're looking through um, the actual sort of applications, etc., it was really interesting to see the calibre of people out there. What I did this season going forward, unlike what I did last season, I didn't have enough, didn't have the experience around the football side that I should have had yeah. and I've probably made some mistakes that I wish I didn't do so what I did at the end of the season coming into this season I approached one of my good friends to say come on board be the conduit between the first team manager and the, and the under 23s and help me and guide me around the football yeah. side <clears throat> because I know the actual chairman side running the building etc but the footballing side was, was all new to me I last time I was a manager was like under 18s was a long time ago. So Philly Burton, who was previous Camelier's manager, so he's come in and, and been a massive help to me. We talk on a regular basis, meet on a regular basis, and he acts like the conduit now between the first team manager and obviously the, the the chairman really. So the team we've got now and the structure we've got really is it's a, it's really working as I wanted it to because as well as chairman of the first team, I'm chairman of the under sevens, eights, nines, tens. So. You can imagine the WhatsApp group we've got, because we've got 53 managers in a WhatsApp group. So it comes with its own challenges. That's so people think I, I get involved with everything, really. So what I want to do is take that little bit of pressure off me from the first team. So it's it's helping me, but with the other teams as well. Yeah. So what I want is to be the chairman, that's just focused on the first team. Because yeah. the under-7s, under-6s are as important to me as they are the first team. So Philly's been a massive help to me for your phone was not stopped. It doesn't, no. No. <laughs> and I do get shouted at by the wife to put it down. Like, I've just been on holiday for two weeks and it was great every time she called the toilet, I was on my phone because <laughs> you still, you say to these guys, look, I'm going on holiday, I need my own break. But sometimes when you, there's decisions that have to be made when you're not there, sometimes you just need that bit of leadership and unfortunately, I'm not personal, unfortunately, I have to make them decisions. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's challenging and as I say, I still do a full-time job. So to find the hours... It's like, it's it's like having a full-time job with no wage in it. Yeah, yeah. I say that about like the coaching or when I used to do the 21s, it's a full-time job, but with no wage. Yeah. Because you're getting... From my footy side of it, you're getting texts at like four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I'm not coming. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It comes with its own challenges and I'm not going to deny that. And you, you, sometimes you say to yourself, do I really need this? Do I really need it? But then you open your eyes really and you think, look what we've got here. You know, mm. we're, we're on the right track, we're going places. So 
it puts you in the right frame of mind and really to think, yeah, I have got what we've got here. And as I say, when things are going great, it's great. But when you get problems, it comes with its own challenges. For example, the recent problems with referees, it's been an absolute nightmare because we've had 23 teams. It comes with its own challenges because with them 23 teams of junior football, it comes with 23 different sets of parents. And as you know, it's sometimes it's not the kids. You've probably seen... Uh, I was on Granada report the other night when this referee asked one of the kids and the kids were saying we get scared of our parents shouting at us what's that all about you've got to create a safe haven for for these kids etc so even from the challenges of dealing with referees and the committees etc so yeah it comes with the challenges and but as I say I love to watch my own lad play football and that's what again what makes it so enjoyable for me you just said then about the referees, the club's actually been very, very vocal on um, social media and stuff, and obviously within our own WhatsApp group in coaching and stuff, where you've put messages and said it's just not going to be tolerated the abuse with the referees. Do you think? Do you think it's a, it's it's the main problem in grassroots in the city? Yeah, it's a huge problem at the moment. Um, I wrote to every club member effectively. Um, Telling them really, as a football club, it won't be tolerated because mm. you've got young referees out there aspiring to do great for themselves and be confident, etc. And we're saying about safeguarding football players, we have to safeguard these referees as well. And if adults are abusing them, that's not being safeguarded. That's not that's not great for the kids, the referees, mm. because you've seen there's a national shortage of referees, and for a parent to stand on the line and abuse a referee. It just won't be tolerated around here. So what we've done as a football club, I wrote to every club member saying it, obviously, it won't be tolerated. Uh, read the code of conduct again, because you've got to give them something that they can read. It's their choice if they read it or not. But we basically said, read the code of conduct again. <coughs> read the code of conduct again. And any sort of abuse or anything, it won't be tolerated. So... We'll remove that parent from the football club without a shadow of a doubt. But imagine that parent saying to their son or their daughter, why can't I go to football today, Dad? Because of me. Yeah. And I think that sets us <coughs> a massive precedent. Yeah. And to be fair to Mersey Youth League, we had a meeting there with them on Monday. And I, and I, and I show compa- complete solidarity with them because we went to this meeting and I think with all the media sort of attention it's brought, I could sense there was... It was the penny was dropping that night in the in the league meeting. So, fingers crossed, it's the first weekend for the mayor's youth. That obviously after the back of the meeting is is going to see a difference. But on the side of the referees as well, sometimes I don't think referees help themselves. So I've heard a referee, a couple of referees speaking to the kids. Like I asked the, a little kid said to the referee, "Where do I take this?" He went, "I'm not your coach." You, you've got to have that two two way balance. Yeah. I think you really have referees. They've got to be respected because of the job they're doing. But also the players and parents need to be respected. So, But for, going back to your point, is, yeah, there's a massive issue with referees at the moment. And we can do it. If we can do anything to help it, then as a football club, we will do that. It's that age-old saying, isn't it? To get respect, you've got to give it. There's been Absolutely. times in games with us where you know, a player will say, something, oh, why have you not given that? That, that? That's a bad decision now. Oh, well, you need to be better at footballing. And you're like, no, no wonder you... I'm not saying every ref brings the abuse on themselves because they don't, and some of it's uh, it's some of it's terrible what what happens. But if you're saying that to eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old lads, 
horrible Scouse kids. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? In like the city and that. Because you're gonna you you're drawing it on yourself. But that obviously doesn't excuse the some of the stuff where we see that referee's getting punched in the face and <laughs> nose is broken over over a football decision because he never give offside. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just despicable and as I say, fortunately around obviously when we were here, obviously we only had really one open age game of a weekend on a Saturday and I know Sunday so you don't really get to see much of from the, the senior football but when you're walking around here on a Saturday and I've always said this, people might disagree or agree but every parent thinks they're Charles with your next Steven Gerrard yeah. and they'll go to any length to achieve that so when they see something going against their son or their daughter on a football pitch first thing they're going to do is vent the spleen at the referee so it's a nightmare but the problem we've got we've got here is and what we've got to try and do and I've said this to the managers you've got to educate your parents it can't happen no more because when there's no referees there's no game yeah yeah. imagine your son getting up on a Saturday while we're playing football today mum or your daughter we've got no referee why? because parents are don't get me wrong you've got it's a minority, and I've said this, but we need help from the majority to, to get the rid of the minority. Yeah. And I've yeah. said that this is the massive help that we need. And I say I've said to our committee massively, let's start walking around. And I've said to, said to the, the managers, when a referee deserves praise, when was the last time you had to give a manager a referee praise? It works both ways. Yeah. If you're easy to criticise, you've got to be easy to to praise these guys as well. And you think the money they end, they're not earning great money for what yeah. they give back. And it's like thirty quid or something. Yeah, even like a. a Junior, for, junior. All right, it's half, half an hour each way. I think it's only tw- twenty-four quid, and I wouldn't take it at all. Money for the abuse that you could potentially going to get from parents on the line. And as I say, with what we here have here as well, which I think most leagues should adopt, is, is the safety barrier. So it's roped off around the pitch. So what you've done, you've got your rope. You've got a bit of a like a meter and a half gap between the pitch and your coach is standing there. So it gives that, that sort of detachment away from the game with the parents. and yeah. It's called the respect barrier. We just use rope. It's just as easy for us. But I think that should be adopted across all sorts of football leagues as well, just to act as a deterrent to sort of prevent parents really becoming aggressive on the line. Now I've said to, to managers, look, we don't mind you asking a referee a question, but don't be sarcastic, don't be abusive, and certainly don't be swearing at them because yeah. you're never going to get a response. But yeah, you're entitled to ask a question, not a problem with that. Do you think the FA do enough? It's a tough one, really, because I, I was at that meeting on Monday and Steve Swinnerton was there, and I think the national body probably don't, mm. to be fair. Um, I think local county FAs, their hands are massively tied because they're governed by the, the, the national FA. My biggest concern is, is looking at managers of football clubs, like in the Premier League. I go back to last weekend, look at Pep, when obviously he was flying down, and, and then obviously clocking himself, and I think, yeah, I'm a fan of a scene, Frank Lampard, I'd say exactly the same. The kids and the coaches are watching these guys on the telly. Yeah. yeah. What message is it sending? They should be leading by example. I know they've come out and apologised, but in the moment, what they caused there. First thing I seen, it wasn't about the pulls win. It was in the press as well. What Klopp's done? He's got a red card. Yeah. yeah. That just goes against everything that we're trying to sort of achieve at the moment from a from a referee point of view. So, so yeah, it's it's, it's tough referees, but as I said before, I think referees need to respect the players as well. Yeah. Goes both ways, doesn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. In terms of looking forward, then, what are your ambitions? I ask, I always get asked this, and I don't dream about massive expectations or aspirations. When we started out the, the plan for first team football, we set the, the target of being a county's sort of team, really. Yeah. Um, that has to be the aspirations, but from right from under sevens as well. 
And that's why I said what I've done. I wanted to give that pathway for under sevens right up to first team. So everyone's got the opportunity to achieve the club's aspirations, whether you're six, seven, whatever it is. Even you get to counties and you're 16 now. In a year's time, you could be playing in that team in the county. So yeah. the aspirations from the club and basically what we did as a committee with uh, when we sat out the aspirations, again, as a committee, we were very sort of not knowledgeable of first-team football. We were more heavily sort of orientated around the junior football club. So at the time, I asked Chris to, to do a presentation to the committee. The expectations, and this is what you're going to do, these are the bumps along the way, and this is what you can expect. And at the time, the committee massively backed the football club and possibly me as well to achieve our aspirations. So without the committee behind you, you'll never obviously get to where you want. But ultimately, with the first team, sort of senior management team, now we've got... The sky's the sort of limit. I'm not going to say we want to win the league, except I don't like saying things like that because there was an area. Brownie's listening to this; he'll be shitting himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I used the analogy uh, last when we, we we got beat by Denton last year, and the, the Denton manager was on the sideline saying, "Yeah, we're going to win the league. Going to win the league after today's results." So when we won oh, the I league, yeah. all the lads had great pleasure in sending them a message going, "You didn't win the league." So I'll never build expectations where we're going to win the league, etc. As long as I know I've got a milestone and I'm on that road to getting it, the biggest thing for me is being patient. Yeah. Don't over, don't over push yourself to achieve things. You've got all the foundations in place. Like I see teams trying to build a house, putting the roof on first. Why would you do that? Build your foundations and gradually sort of get yourself where you want to be. So, so from a football club is it's keeping everyone together, keeping this place running, but ultimately from a football perspective, that's where I see is obviously a county's perspective. Yeah. So. Do you believe you can go higher than counties, though, in, say, 10, 15 years? Absolutely, absolutely. I think once you get the infrastructure in place, um, obviously the stand, the floodlights, etc., the sky is then sort of your limit. Obviously, what we're going to do as a football club is go for the highest sort of spectrum, really, with the stand, etc. So if you go again, you go again. Yeah. You're not reinvesting more money to get yeah. your... You grade like into the next level, so like we're, one, we're sorry, big, one big yeah. investment for absolutely, for yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to go obviously into step sort of five, sort of setup really. So you're not investing more and more all the yeah. time. As I say, I've been chairman five years. How long that will be for? I don't know. It could be tomorrow. It could be two years. But my my goals and my aspirations are always going to be achieving as much as we can, going up the football pyramid, and whoever comes in as chairman, whoever replaces me. They'll have the same goals because that's the that's the sort of club's mission, really, is yeah. to get where we want. And as I say, we've drawn a plan where we want to be, and hopefully we can achieve that. If you could look back, so from the first, when you first took on obviously the chairman thing, everything that you've went through, so obviously the development, the senior football side, is there anything you'd look back and say, don't do that? Anything specific that pops out, or would there be any? And you'd say, make sure you do, make sure you do this because this way. Do you know what I mean? Anything you'd look back and tell that Mike Gibbons on got the job on the first day. You'd go back and tell him anything. What would that be? I think if, if obviously I was to speak to an incoming chairman, the first thing I would be sort of explaining to him is you, you've got to have thick skin because you're going to get it from all angles. And some of the mistakes I made is giving into some requests that I possibly shouldn't have because you just want a happy go, Larry football club and the team progressing and that's again I'd say to anyone coming in is whatever agenda you've got or whatever mission you've got stick to it don't deviate from it 
uh, and just obviously support what you're thinking is going along. And I say that's why I brought Philly in really good to help that sort of journey for me to take that sort of onus away from me. Philly and I are singing massive off the same hymn sheet. So he knows what I want and I know what he wants and that message is then obviously passed down through obviously Carl, obviously the, the senior and to, to David into the under-23s and I think now that sort of message is, is, is really sort of clear and, and concise. So from a, a club perspective, I keep on, people ever say, they keep on saying to me, you can't leave, you can't leave, you can't leave. Well, you can leave, but what you leave is a legacy and I've always tried to, from a continuity point of view, is... Basically, if I was to leave, you need someone who can step up in place. Yeah. Because if I got it by a bus or something happened, this football club won't stop because Mike Gibbons leaves. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is work on probably Wayne, Dom, etc. That if I was to leave, you've got someone in natural transition who can step in as chairman. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, it won't be an easy job. But you've got to give them that sort of skill set to be able to make decisions, etc. So so from your point really is the biggest thing for me is 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 having thick skin and Sometimes making a decision what you think is right for the club, not for the individual teams. Final one for me then. Um, why should why should people come down and play for Nosley from age six and up? Why should they come here else or any other club? It's a great question, really, and I, I get asked it a lot. Is is it basically one club really? Um, and the chairman's sort of sort of attitude is the under sevens is just as important as the as the first team. And we've got a, a massive culture here that we're obviously a community charter club, so we, we've got sort of recognition that we have to achieve certain things. And from a, a chairman point of view, is the culture has to be a safe haven for any child to come down here and, and be part of this football club. Um, the facilities we've got attracts a lot of players at the moment. We're, very, we're looking at obviously different sort of feasibilities with different supports, etc., but what you will get is here is a committee who will give 110% every week to make sure this football club is where it is today. But with the added 10%, we're developing it even more to go to go further. And one of the things that we are massively sort of important on is basically all the certificates for our coaches as well. There's a massive thing about DBSs at the moment. We won't really allow any coaches to come into the football club without a DBS. Yeah. Because without DBSs, the kids are in, in danger really yeah. so we have a child welfare officer who is fantastic she delivers the sort of the requirements that a football club but from a, an overall perspective why would you want to join AFC Nosley well obviously look at the facilities look at the, look at the, the club we've got here great for pitches outside we get the leagues regular asking can we all finals we all 28 finals here last year it was phenomenal yeah. hard work phenomenal and we do tournaments etc but again, the biggest thing for me is we've got an identity as well, and, and that's my sort of long-term thing, is keeping that identity of AFC Nosey. And I, I've always asked the managers to try and get AFC Nosey attire on. That's all look like we're one club as well. Yeah. So I think from that is we're an up-and-coming club, still a long way to go. But the journey that we've been on before, and obviously on what we're going on now, I think is, is the right journey. But what I won't do is rush anything yeah. to achieve anything, because... It's so, it's so easily take, you can take a step back and and ruin things that you put in place for so many years. So, so yeah, it's a it's a great club to be at uh, as a chairman. It's a great club to to oversee and develop to to the next level. So, hopefully, with the lads in place, we'll continue that journey. Being involved in it, obviously, last night we had training the yeah. first team of the twenty threes. There was 
25, 26 lads with the 23s. There was 18, 19 with the first team. Coming down on a Saturday, I'll urge anyone to come down because the atmosphere is, it's honestly, it's boss because you come in, everyone's enjoying themselves, everyone's laughing, joking, having a good time, watching the footy and stuff. And for me, that comes from the top, top down. And to see the hard work that you put in, I don't know how you do it. I genuinely don't. Yeah, and people always say to me, I treat people like I want to be treated myself. There's no point in being that chairman who stands on that pedestal and dictates, dictates because you won't, you won't get any respect mm. from anyone. I laugh and a joke because, like you, Jay, like yourself, we're all volunteers. Yeah. Why, why should you not be treated like any sort of respectful person? So I like to create a family and a friendly, orientating sort of football club. And as you say, on a Saturday, it's just so vibrant. Like, well, even with Paul with the cafe, we always have a good laugh. There's always smiles about, don't get me wrong, there's times when obviously there's going to be serious conversations. Like, for example, I, I don't really want to dwell on but we had a parent contact us a couple of weeks back whose son used to pay for the football club, sadly passed away of cancer. And as you've seen around the place, we work in tandem with Noel McFay. So it gives us a bit of a bit of respect as well as helping the community. So that parent asked for a plaque to be put on the building, which we clap at quite happily endorsed because... We're neither going to say no. We'll always consider what's best for the football club and what's best for the community. So, so working with Owen McVeigh, we did obviously upsell, etc. So, that gives us a sort of kudos as well within the community because if you're working with institutions like that, yeah. you're on you're on the right path. And we we were warm up tops which were donated by Owen McVeigh. So, so yeah, it's it, it's good from that point of view. And we're always looking for. I'm meeting a guy tomorrow who's hopefully going to come in and to do some commercial stuff for us so but again it's a volunteer role so finished that yeah. thanks very much yeah. really enjoyed that absolutely um, I remember asking you about, must have been about what three months ago when we, yeah. we had first had the idea but we were one of the people who were thought yeah it'd be really good to get them on but that was really good yeah yeah enjoyed that thanks appreciate for appreciate your time uh, thank you have a look around and see what you think Thank you for coming on. Don't forget if you're watching on YouTube, to leave a like and a subscribe. If you're watching on listening on Spotify, watching Spotify, listening on Spotify or Apple, it keeps us sharing that. We've went as far as America and Spain in just only two episodes, so it's going well. We appreciate all the support, followers, and everything from the side podcast. I've been Matty J, been joined by Mike, and thank you for listening. <laughs>